friends, let me welcome you again to gather around the Word of God. We've been exploring together uh, the book of Jude. Jude is a, it's, it's a tiny little book that's found at the end of the New Testament. It's the last book just before the book of Revelation. And uh, being that this is our third week together to study Jude, let me do some brief review for those who have not been here Jude is writing this letter uh, to a group of early churches, and, and what Jude is doing is he's sounding a warning alarm or a warning bell, and, and what, he's, what he's concerned about is that there are wolves in sheep's clothing which have been entering the churches. You see, Jude sees that the biggest threat to the gospel comes not from outsiders. It's not Roman persecution that Jude seems to be concerned about. It's not martyrs being burned at the stake. It's, it's not culture rejecting the gospel because the world is always seemingly going to misunderstand the church. For Jude, the biggest threat to the gospel comes from people who claim to be Christians and, and they claim to be members of, of the church and yet they teach a message different than the message that was given once for all to the saints. And, and we can just read two quick verses from Jude and be caught up on this idea. So let's just do that. Jude 3 and 4. Here he kind of describes the situation. He says this, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. He calls them ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality, and they deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. So, so the message of Jude is really, is really twofold. First, the message is uh, the wolves are already in the gates. Like you guys need to know, it's not, that they're, it's not that they one day will come into your churches. It's the fact that Jude's saying that they're already there. They're already in your churches. These false teachers have already crept in, and the call for the saints, for, for all of us, is to contend with them. In other words, the call of Jude is a call to confront people who call themselves Christians, but they teach something other than the gospel. They have a standard other than Scripture. They have a Lord other than Jesus. It's a, it's a call to contend for truth. And the second major theme of Jude that we're going to really spend a lot of time on today as well is kind of a dark theme, actually. It's the idea of God's judgment and wrath that's being stored up for these false teachers. It's intense, and it's fire and brimstone. And in fact, if you look in your bulletin, that's what I named today's sermon. It's called That Fire and Brimstone Sermon, right? And it makes some people really uncomfortable, some people would, would prefer that we would never speak about God's wrath. The problem with that is that the Word of God talks about God's wrath. 
And as Christians, we believe that God reveals himself by his word. And maybe you think that I'm talking about the Old Testament. And I assure you, I am not. Uh, but, but even if you thought that, I mean, I would tell you that God does not change. He's the same in the Old Testament. He never changes. He's the same today. But the judgment and wrath of God is discussed at great length in the New Testament. And no one in the entirety of the Bible talks more about hell than Jesus. There's no one character that speaks about hell more than Jesus. And yet there is this false narrative that the Old Testament is where you find the wrath of God and the New Testament is all about Jesus and his love. Here's the truth. Jesus is lovely. He's loving. And Jesus did come to satisfy the wrath of God. He is, uh, he's the great shepherd and he has made a way for his sheep. The problem is that not everybody believes in Jesus. Not everyone is part of the flock that Jesus shepherds. Not everyone has been called and kept for God's glory. Not everyone holds tight to his word and his lordship. And for those who are outside the flock of Jesus, they are helpless to stand before Christ in judgment. And what awaits them in judgment, unfortunately, and it gives me no pleasure to say this, I guarantee you what awaits them is God's wrath. The early apostles preached about the judgment of God in the New Testament. So right as the church is forming, Acts 17, 30 through 31, you have Peter, and he's talking about God's judgment. He says, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere need to repent because he has fixed a day. Think about that. He has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he, uh, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Here's the most important thing to hear from that. Peter says that God has fixed a day. That day is coming. There is no avoiding it. It is a real time, and it is a real place, and God has fixed it as if in stone. I want to talk a little bit more about this judgment today. Specifically, I want to talk about it as it pertains to what Jude is talking about with these false teachers. Jude says they sneak into the church. Remember, look at, look at verse 4 one more time, just so we can kind of remember what it says about that. It says, for these certain people have crept in unnoticed. Here's what's important. Who long ago were designated for what? For condemnation. Look, look what he adds to that in Jude, uh, verse 10. Jude says that these people blaspheme all that they do not understand. And they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. In other words, trusting in their instincts is leading them to destruction. And, and in verse 11, you get Jude pronouncing them a curse. He says, woe to them. There is judgment coming for these people. So what I want to do today is I want to read to you our next section. It's going to be Jude 12 through 16. If you are able, I want to invite you to stand now as we read uh, Jude 12 through 16. Before we do, let's pray. Father, we submit our lives to your holy word and to the lordship of Christ Jesus, our son. God, we, we come before a, uh, a heavy topic today as Jude speaks about apostasy, false teachers, and the judgment that awaits them. 
God, we come to this word like we come to any of your word, knowing that it is useful in our lives for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. Will you use it for our good and your glory? We pray that in Christ's name. And the church said, amen. Let's read together beginning in the 12th verse. These, speaking of uh, these false teachers, he says, these are hidden reefs at your love fest as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, they're twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all, to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. Church, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. And this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. What a holly jolly Christmas text, right? Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night, right? Um, the way we preach here, the way we teach is we try to work our way through Scripture and what's next. We preach, we pick a book, we try to work our way through it. And uh, I, I can't tell you how many times I've preached the Christmas story. I, I'm, I'm trying to get to where I don't start the Christmas until next week, and we're going to start next week, the Gospel of Matthew. And then we're going to be preaching all the way through the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be in there for a really long time. Uh, we had initially scheduled to spend two weeks in Jude, and I got in there and I realized it was just too dense to spend only two weeks there, and so we're still there today. So let's get some context first. Jude is in the middle of, of doing two things. He's describing what apostates look like, what uh, these false teachers in the church look like. Remember that, that term apostate, I introduced it a couple weeks back. It, it describes someone who has turned their back on or rebelled against their faith. You, you used to believe the gospel. You used to think one way, but now you do not. We call that kind of person an apostate. And so I may use that a few times today as a term that describes these teachers or leaders there. Uh, Jude is, is a master of using visuals. He's the kind of guy that you don't want to get in an argument with. Like he's the kind of guy that would stand on stage with Donald Trump and make him look really bad. Um, and he, he gives us six illustrations today of apostates. Ready? Let's just read these six illustrations together and I'll show you what I mean. Verses 12 through 13. We just jumped right into them. He, he's talking about them. He says, these are hidden reefs at your love fest as they feast with you without fear. These are shepherds feeding themselves. These are waterless clouds swept along by winds. They're fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame. They're wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Six illustrations of false teachers. Hidden reefs, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds, fruitless trees, Wild waves, 
wandering stars. So let's see if we can't work our way through these six and find out what they mean. The first illustration Jude gives is he says these insiders who deny the truth, these guys who snuck in, they're like hidden reefs at your love feasts. They're, they, it says that they feast without fear. They're the hidden reefs at your love feasts. So, so here's the first question. What is a love feast? The love feast was a meal that was eaten by the early church and it was a meal that was kind of maybe like our Wednesday night meal or some of the Sunday meals that we have here. It was focused on community. It was about encouraging one another. It, it often benefited the poor in the congregation who could not eat otherwise. And they would come together and have this giant meal. And Jude says these false teachers who crept in, that they are like hidden reefs at those lunches, right? Don't doubt the power of a submerged reef. They can destroy the largest of ships uh, and in the same way, these people, they're, they're like hiding just under the waves of your community. They're waiting to shipwreck some unsuspecting church member by planting seeds of bad doctrine. That, that's what the illustration is here. And, and, and Jude says that these people that hang around the love feast, they don't have any fear. They're there feasting under the water, you know, as these invisible reefs. They're there feasting without any fear. They, they misconstrue doctrine to justify their lifestyle, and they whisper in people's ears about it, and they do so with no fear. And the question would rise, why are these false teachers, why don't they have any fear about what they're doing? And the truth of the answer is found up in the second part of the sermon. Is, is it because they don't believe God's judgment is coming? They think the judgment of God is not a real thing, they think that they can make God into their own image and have no fear of judgment one day. So they change what they don't like about God. They deny the parts of the Bible that bother them and they believe there will be no judgment and Jude is saying that's wrong. The next illustration that Jude is gonna to use to describe these folks is, is he says they are like shepherds feeding themselves. In, in my 20s, uh, when Kimmy and I were married, we lived in Amarillo, Texas, and had a lot of friends that, that owned cattle. And uh, a lot of them were not real cowboys. They were playing cowboy. You know, the difference is that you're an insurance agent who makes several hundred thousand dollars a year. And so you buy land and put cattle out there. So you have a hobby in the evenings and weekends. You know, you go out there because you love the idea of being a cowboy. And oftentimes I would get to go out uh, with my friends and, and feed the cattle. And uh, here's what I remember. I remember that as we would drive through the pasture to put out the feed for the cattle, the cattle would get excited and they would start following the truck and um, they were ready to eat. And I, I can remember having the windows rolled down and, and honking the horn to get the cattle out of the way because they, they weren't real smart and, and they were so eager. They were getting close to the truck because they, they, they were hungry. Imagine your dog when you're putting out food. They, they were just ready to eat. And can you imagine if we pulled up to the troughs there and, and they had been trained that this meant they were going to get fed and instead of uh, feeding them, we just sat down there and ate the cattle's food? That's the illustration here. It's, it's shepherds who were supposed to feed the sheep, but instead they just feed themselves. And what Jude is saying about these false teachers is that they don't care for the flock. And if you start following them in anticipation of receiving the bread of life, you're going you're gonna to never find that they feed others. So, so first off, we get that they're, they're, they're uh, hidden reefs without fear. Then we find out that they're shepherds feeding themselves. And the next illustration is very interesting. Jude calls these people waterless clouds 
swept along by wind. What in the world does it mean to be a waterless cloud swept along by the wind? I think to understand this, you have to um, think about this from a desert environment where, where it never seems to rain. I can remember um, working at that church in Texas and we had a party at our house for young adults. We were in our 30s and we had a bunch of other couples that were in their 30s there. And at the time that we had this party, it had not rained in Lubbock, Texas in 11 months. 11 months. Um, West Texas was the desert. It was hot and the wind would blow and it would feel like a, a, you know, a blow dryer was just going right into your eyes. And one evening when we had this party, it started raining outside. And, um, and people literally went outside and danced in the rain. And I'm talking about adults. I mean, it really happened. When you need water that bad, that's one of the things that Cammie has always loved about living in Mississippi. Coming from, from Lubbock to Mississippi, there was always, she just says, you know, the, the land would grow out there in Lubbock. And here, it's wet, and it just gives her this great confidence. When, when it's that dry, something in your spirit just groans. Nature itself is groaning for moisture. So you see on the cloud, or on the horizon, you see a cloud. And you think to yourself, boys, the rain's coming. This is it. And then when it passes you by and the rain doesn't come, it's heartbreaking. I can't tell you how many times if, if you've got 11 months with no rain, and yet, yet here it is, it's a 30% chance of rain tonight. I see the clouds, today's the day, and then it doesn't come. That's the illustration. Jude says this is what those false teachers are. They're nothing but waterless clouds. They give the appearance that they bring new life but they don't have any substance within them to satisfy. You see, I worry about people who go to church where the leadership have turned from the truth of Scripture, and, and they still give the appearance of a church. They still look like a cloud. They just don't have any living water in them because they're not preaching Scripture. I can't imagine attending a church where they're not teaching Scripture, but these churches exist they march out pastors to tell stories and to entertain. It's self-help disguised as Christianity or it's motivation for you all to go be good citizens. Those teachers, however, are nothing but waterless clouds because they do not bring the living water of God. The next illustration that Jude uses is this one, and it's another good one. He, he's just rattling them off, and you're, you're likely to miss them if you don't slow down and kind of take them one at a time. But the next one is that they says they are they're fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead and uprooted. Fruitless trees in late autumn. Think about the growing season. Trees begin to bud in spring, you get little buds on them, and it might take some time for them to produce some fruit. We, we have a, a lemon tree in our backyard. It's in a pot. We got it for Riley because she complained, at, you know, Dad, give me the tree. And I didn't want to get her the tree, but like, finally we were like, okay, but you're going to water it, and, and she doesn't. It's totally cammy. Uh, but, but we water this tree, and we, I think we've had it for about five years now. It's just a little lemon tree in a pot. It's on wheels so that when it gets cold, we can bring it in. We have to baby this lemon tree, right, because it's not quite for this kind of climate. And um, we water it. We do all this work. We got a whole two lemons this year, two lemons, and of all the work, I mean, those are the most expensive lemons in the history of the world. And we picked those lemons just three weeks ago. That's when we finally got them off the tree. Do you know why we picked them then? 
Why do we pick the lemons then? Because the growing season is over. How did we know that the growing season was over? Well, because it's, it's late autumn, right? The, the cold is coming. The freeze is coming. Whatever they're going to produce this year has been produced. There's no third lemon coming, right? You can tell at this time of year that whatever's there is there. Jude says the apostates are like this. They're fruitless trees in late autumn. The growing season is over. There's no need to wait and see what they're going to produce. The season's over. They have nothing to give. And what's more, Jude goes on to say, not only do they not have fruit, they're twice dead and uprooted. They're dead in their roots. Next illustration that Jude gives. He says they are wild waves of the sea casting up foam of their own shame. Like, I, I don't know how many of you are beach people. I like to go to the beach uh, twice a week. I, I don't like to swim in the ocean a lot, but I like to get in and cool off, right? That's kind of the relationship I have there. But I don't know. When, I surfed for a little while when I was younger. I've told you all some stories of that. I don't know when was the last time you got hit hard by a wave. Like, have you ever been just really rolled up, like rolled under, maybe held under just for a second longer than you wanted? And when you come up out of that water, you come up out of that water with like a new respect for the power of the ocean. You're like, "Woo! I underestimated how powerful I was and how powerful the waves were. I got that wrong. And I think that, um, that Jude is thinking about the words when he writes this. I think he's thinking about the words of the prophet Isaiah. And here's what the prophet Isaiah said. It's, it's 5720, Isaiah 5720. He says this, but the wicked are like the tossing sea for it cannot be quiet and its waters toss up mire and dirt. It's this same idea that the, the waves are just so restless and they're powerful. Just like waves. So now we're comparing. It says, just like waves, the wicked are loud and chaotic. But what do they bring forth? That's the question here. What do they, what for all this pushing and noise and power? What, what does it create? Isaiah says it's, they spit mire and dirt on the shore. Kind of gross, it's useless. There's just, for all their work, it's just spitting mire and dirt. What Jude says is, is what? That they cast up the foam of their own shame. So, for all that energy, for all that noise, for all that work, all that's produced is the foam of their own shame. You think about these preachers who work really hard and they, 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 they put together powerful, loud stories that they scream about, but none of it has to do with the Word of God. Think about Joel Olstein. Probably shouldn't use names, but let's just be honest. The guy doesn't do a lot of Bible preaching, right? And he puts all this effort into him. What does that effort produce? According to Jude, the foam of his own shame. The next illustration that Jude is going to use is he's going to talk about stars. What kind of stars? Wandering stars whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved for. When was the last time that you saw a wandering star? Because stars don't wander, <laughs> I mean, someone said, well, well, they're shooting stars. And I go, that's not a star. Right? That's something burning through the atmosphere, you know, uh, some sort of you know, debris. But that's not a star. Stars have set orbits. And this is not like this astrology. This is not lost on Jude. This is exactly Jude's point in saying this. Stars are held in orbit by forces greater than themselves. Stars are fixed and they're reliable in such a manner that the location of stars can be used for navigation. 
because stars are where stars are supposed to be. And so Jude compares these false teachers to wandering stars who are not where they're supposed to be. And a few weeks ago, we read together where Jude was talking about the fallen, fallen angels. Do y'all remember that? In verse 6, he's talking about fallen angels. Read that one more time. Let's read verse 6 together. It says, And the angels who do not stay within their own positions of authority, but left their proper dwelling. Listen, they're about to be wandering stars. They left their proper dwelling. He has kept in eternal chains under the gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. The, the angels have left their, their proper dwelling. They're wandering, and what awaits them is judgment. Now here in verse 13, we have these people who've crept into the church described as stars who've left their proper orbit. And what awaits them is a similar judgment. It's, it's, the language is gloom and utter darkness forever. In, in case there's any question what the illustration means, the proper orbit is the right teaching of God's word. This is the place of a faithful shepherd, right? This is what a, a faithful shepherd should do. The rightful teaching of God's word is the water that the cloud should have. It's, it's the bread of life that the shepherd should have fed the sheep with. It's the fruit that the faithful branches should bear. But a wandering star just makes up his own path. A wandering star shines for his own glory. The final message of today is, it's what awaits those teachers, those apostates, those who have crept into the church who failed to stay in their proper orbit of teaching God's word. So it's judgment, it's wrath, it's that fire and brimstone stuff. Look at verse 14. It was also about these, these false teachers, that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones, so a man named Enoch prophesied that the, that the Lord would come to judge the world. And he's putting that in the context of talking about those who crept into the church. He's saying, he's talking about these people when he's talking about, when Enoch's talking about God coming to judge. And, he, and he's bringing his 10,000 holy ones. Now there's been some debate about whether holy ones are the saints uh, who are brought back with Jesus. Or it's the angels. Being that this is a, a, a context of judgment, I tend to believe it's the angels. And Jude is describing a prophecy from a long time ago. The prophecy comes from Enoch, and it says that Enoch is the seventh from Adam. So what that means is that, that he's a, a, the seventh generation from Adam. That means Enoch, you can find him there in Scripture. He's, he's there before the flood. Enoch is actually the father of Methuselah, which is the oldest person in Scripture. You can find Enoch there. However, if you go back and you begin to read about Enoch, you can find, you can find just a few things about him. It's not, not a whole lot of, of narrative there about Enoch. Uh, what's not there is any record or any reference of any prophecy that he gave in the book of Genesis. He's named and his story is brief, but there's no prophecy there, which leads us to ask the question, like, where is Jude getting this quote from or getting this idea from? And if you remember last week, Jude quoted from an apocryphal book called The, the Assumption of Moses. And, and, and Jude, is, if there's any controversy in Jude at all, it's that he talks about these apocryphal books. And we have to, as a church, ask the question, is that okay? Is it good? Um, um, you know, it's kind of like using a reference of the day to, to, to preach. Is that good? Well, yes, it can be. The same with Jude. Here it appears Jude is going to quote another apocryphal book. And this time Jude is quoting not 
from a, from a book that's not in the Bible, a book called First Enoch. There's, there's a first and there's a second Enoch. And um, the belief is that Enoch had, had made, back when he lived, back before the flood, had made a prophecy which had long lived in oral tradition. Uh, and that prophecy was that the Lord would come and that he would be, bring 10,000 angels and that he would execute judgment. And that this story was written in First Enoch, which was not Christian scripture. It was never Jewish scripture. First Enoch was never Catholic scripture. It was just a book. But Jude quotes it here. And he says, the Lord will come and he will bring with him 10,000 angels. Now listen, I believe that this is true because Jude, inspired by the Holy Spirit, said so. But if you need more proof that, that, that God is going to come and judge with his angels, I would point you to Jesus. Matthew 25, 31 through 33. This is what Jesus says about the same subject. He says this, when the Son of Man comes in glory, he's talking about himself, and all the angels with him, He's going to bring his angels when he comes to judge. Then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. You just imagine this, right? He's coming. Imagine all the angels, just as many as you could see. And, and all the nations, all the people who have ever existed, stand before him for judgment. And it says this, that he will separate people from one another as a, she- as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He's just going to separate them out. And he will place the sheep on his right but the goats on his left. And he's going to say, uh, and he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. My father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. Uh, Jesus returns uh, and, and he has all of humanity before him. It's a set time. It's a set place. And you cannot avoid the judgment day. Uh, not believing in God, like you say, well, I don't believe in God. Well, that won't keep you from judgment. If you say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a Jewish or I'm a Muslim, that won't keep you from judgment. You're going to still sit in that seat or sit in that place and be judged before the judgment seat. And, and who comes along with Jesus? Well, it's all the angels. And it says, like a shepherd, Jesus will separate everyone. And this separation, my friends, is binary. You're either a sheep or you are a goat. There is nothing in the middle. The sheep on the right, the goats on the left. Look at verse 34, it says this. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. He's talking to his church there, his flock, his people, those he died to save, those who believe upon him, come and inherit the riches of Christ. But what about the goats on the left? What if you're not one of God's people? What if you were not chosen, beloved, and kept until the end? What happens to the goats, right? Verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fires prepared for the devil and his angels. What follows God's judgment is binary also. It's either blessing and inheritance or wrath. And this is Jude's point, that those who are false teachers will find themselves with the goats. I have never thought of myself as a fire and brimstone preacher. But I will say this, there is only one way to faithfully preach this text. The preacher must tell the people that judgment day is coming. He must tell them that if they are embracing a gospel 
other than the one entrusted once for all to the saints, as Jude says. If they've diminished what it means for Christ to be their Lord, if they've rejected his call to obedience and they live their lives in a way that is indistinguishable from the world, if they've embraced all the wicked values of the day, calling the word of God foolish and outdated, and yet they sneak into the church and they want to teach some new way of following Jesus that allows them to hang on to the things that they love that God calls sin. What awaits them, according to the Bible, according to the Jude, is the wrath of God. The same wrath that awaits all who deny the name of Jesus. And the crazy thing is this. Many Christians today, think about this. Many Christians today are disgusted by the idea of God's wrath. It's so troubling for them to even think about God's wrath. It causes them great distress. The problem is, they're not disgusted by sin. Sin is not troubling for them. God's wrath is. My word for you today is to tread lightly, Christian, for this is the path of destruction. You should hate sin. Trust God in his judgment. Contend for the faith. Trust in Jesus. This has been Jude 12 through 15. May God add his blessing to the preaching of his word. Let's pray together this morning. God, as we uh, spend time walking through your word today, hearing the description of those false teachers, hidden reefs, Shepherds that feed themselves, these waterless clouds, these waves that stir up foam of their own shame, and these stars that are wandering outside their orbit. God, they all point to someone who has abandoned the word of God and abandoned the lordship of Jesus, and yet are teaching there is some new way to be a Christian. God, we know there is no new way to be a Christian by your word by your Son, and on his cross and through his lordship in our lives. Praise be to Christ, the only way, the only truth. God, keep us forever for yourself. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.